This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. standing reach for your Bibles and turn with me tonight to Matthew chapter 16 and while you're turning would you just give this wonderful praise team a hand tonight for leading us into the throne room of God Matthew 16 and 18 the B part of that verse most of you could possibly quote it by heart The words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Wow. Could you read that with me out loud, please? And upon this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You may be seated tonight. The setting is Caesarea Philippi. Jesus and his disciples are standing just at a brook, a brook that runs from Mount Hermon, a chilly water source, a clean, a crystal clear water source. It is a boundary of separation, a place that you would have to cross over by a bridge in order to get into the city. The reason Jesus and his disciples were standing just on this side was Caesarea Philippi was a pagan city. It was a place of demonic influence, a place of pagan worship. And being a Jew, they were unable to go in there lest it defile them. So as they stand there, Jesus is looking at the Temple of Pan. The Temple of Pan is where this pagan worship took place. Thousands of temple prostitutes. Thousands of demonic sacrifices being made. And Jesus just happened to look at his disciples and he asked them a question. Gentlemen, throughout our journey, when you speak to people about me, who do people say that I am? Someone stands up and said, well, you know, there are some that go around and say, well, surely... This must be Elijah the prophet reincarnated. Well, we know that's not true. Though Elijah was a man of God who performed many mighty miracles, his birth was not miraculous and his birth was not divine. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ did more miracles and performed greater things than Elijah did. So obviously they just marked that off the list. So another man stands up and said, well, you know, some say you are Jeremiah the prophet. 
Surely Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, represented Jesus Christ because there were times when he stood upon the Mount of Olives and looked over Jerusalem and wept and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I wanted to bring you under my wing and protect you. Then another stood up as they marked that name off the list. And they said, Well, you know, there is one more option. There are some who say that you are John the Baptist reincarnated. Now, I'm sure that the majority of those men did not believe that because they were followers of John. And they heard John proclaim to them when he looked at Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. So yet again, they marked that name off the list. And Jesus said, well, that's all good and fine that they say that about me. But my question now is who do you say that I am? And under the anointing of God, Brother Peter stood up and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Can I tell somebody here tonight, the God that I serve, the Messiah that has saved me, he is not some dead, dried up bone of Elijah. He is not some dead, dried up bone of Jeremiah. He is not some dead, dried up bone of John the Baptist, but he is in fact the son of the living God. He is the second person of the Godhead. He is more than Jesus Christ, the son of God. He is Jesus Christ, God the son. I want to tell you tonight, he is alive. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the King of Kings. He is God the son. Now somebody say amen and help me here tonight. You see, he looked at them after that proclamation and he said to them, now, it is upon this rock that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. Now, there are so many throughout history, especially within the Catholic religion, that believe that Jesus was speaking of the Apostle Peter. For his name, Cephas, meaning stone or pebble. But that's not what Jesus was saying. He said the cornerstone, the foundation upon which the church will be built and upon which the victory over the gates of hell shall be brought is not by Peter. It is not by any other of the disciples, but it is upon the fact that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said it is upon this rock that I will build my church. You know something that bothers me? I believe we have too many churches today that are built on foundations other than the rock Christ Jesus. We have so many churches that are built upon things that do not even reflect who Jesus is. And, and we have things and programs in place that, that oftentimes get in the way of the Lord being the foundation. And, and they are the things upon which we build and grow our churches. Now pardon me for a moment. We have a lot of churches in these days that have built their churches off of their music program. And if they have the right talent and if they have the right musicians and if they have the big choir, if they have the spectacular program and, and the musicianship and the showmanship, then their churches will grow. But here's a problem with that. You let one of those top-notch singers leave or one of those top-notch music directors leave, 
and you'll lose half the choir because their salvation was not built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was built upon the music program that they were a part of. And, and so many times we'll look at those kind of things and say, surely that's what's growing the church, but that cannot grow a church. It might grow a congregation, but the music program cannot grow the church. And we'll have a good youth program. We'll have a lot of activities for our children and for our teenagers and and we'll we'll give them events and we'll give them spectacular activity and we'll say well you know that's why that church over there is growing because they have the right program and the reason that church is growing is because they have the right facilities and because they're doing the things that need to be done for the children. But guess what will happen just as soon as your children's church has to shut down for three months because the director left, that's when you're going to lose half your families and they're going to go to a church somewhere down the road that has another program for them. You see, it might build a congregation, but your youth and children's program cannot build a church. And unfortunately, we have a whole lot of churches that are built upon the person that stands behind the pulpit. If they are a charismatic personality, if they are a good orator, if they are one who is able to connect with the people and, and they have those flashy sermon titles and, and they can put a good sermon together, then we say, well, he's the one that grew the church and he's the one that has built the church and calls it to be what it is. But you just let that pastor leave the church and you'll lose half your congregation because their foundation was upon him and not upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I've come by to tell somebody here tonight if we build our church on anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ we are standing upon sinking sand if we build our church upon anything than the majesty and the glory of his divinity we are in a foundation that will fail and a foundation that will fall but on Christ the solid rock we stand all other ground is sinking sands upon a road do not build upon anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ Brother Tommy, if you'll give me more monitor and keep it up up here and turn me down out there, believe this right here, please. You see, we have a problem with foundations. Our foundation must be nothing more than Jesus Christ. And it is not just upon Jesus Christ, but it is upon who he is. Any church can say, I'm built upon Jesus Christ. Did you know that even the Muslims believe that Jesus Christ was a good prophet? Even the Jews will say, well, we know that there was a historical Jesus Christ that did miracles. But it's only when the church recognizes who he is and that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's only when we recognize his divinity that our churches will be built upon the right foundation. He said, I am the stone that the builder has rejected, but yet he must be the cornerstone, he must be the foundation upon this church. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. Oh, I like this part. He said, I will build my church. Oh, can I repeat that one more time? I'm kind of feeling this. He said, I will build my church. Can I talk to some ministers here tonight? I want to take some weights off your shoulders, pastor. 
we have this feeling that if we're not building the church and if our church isn't growing, then the first thing we want to do is blame ourselves and the first thing we want to do is try to figure out what I've done wrong and what I can do better. But neighbor, you need to realize God did not call you to build the church. He called you to build the people. In fact, we've never been told in the scripture that it is our duty, it is our job to build the church. My Bible tells me to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It is our duty to make disciples. It is our duty to win the lost, to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It has been commissioned to us to go and to reach a lost and a dying world and bring them back into the house of God and disciple them and to grow them and to mature them into Christians that are biblically sound. God never instructed us as ministers to build the house of God. He said if you'll just build my people, you lay this upon my shoulder, I'll build my church. Don't worry about your numbers any longer. Don't worry about your finances any longer. You just do what I've commissioned you to do. You do what I've called you to do and I will be the one that takes the hammer and the nails and the wood in my hand. I'll be the one that gets the blueprint of my church and I will successfully build it. Hear me today. If it's not built by the Lord Jesus Christ, it will not be built at all. It will not be built by our education. It will not be built by our finances. It will not be built upon anything else. It can only be built upon him and by the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he said. Upon this rock I will build what? My church. Now, I'm not going to get as many amens here. First of all, all of my life I have heard people make the statement, oh, that's my church. There are two types of people in churches. There are those who say that's my church because they're excited to be a part of that community of faith. They support it with their attendance. They support it with their prayer. They support it with their finances. And, and they're excited to do the work of the Lord. And they say, that's my church. Then we have others that say, well, that's my church. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, my father is a pastor, has been all of my life. And he moved into our church where he currently pastors some 28 years ago. And when he arrived in the town, there was some work that needed to be done at the parsonage. So he went down to the little hardware store in our little downtown area. And he walked in, and Pastor, he introduced himself to this man, and he said, uh, my name is so-and-so, and I'm the new pastor of the Church of God. The guy looked at him, he said, the Church of who? He said, the Church of God. He said, where is that church? Well, my father being shocked because our church is the most visible church in all the community. It's on the highway. If you go through our area, you have to pass by our church in order to see anything. You have to see our church first. And he said, well, it's, it's up here at the intersection. It's at the highway. Oh, I know what church you're talking about. <clears throat> he said, but preacher, you need to know something. That's not God's church. He said, that's so-and-so's church. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you'll be. Because he's on that church as long as I've known him, and he will continue to own that church even after you're gone. 
Mm. Y'all are kind of quiet on me tonight. I don't know if I'm making you nervous or if you're just intently listening. And he told my dad, be careful because he owns that church. I want you to look at me and look at me intently. You don't own the church. No. It's not your church. Just because mom and daddy helped to build it and just because grandma and grandpa put the money in the church, just because you pay tithe and because you hold a position, it does not mean that you own the church. It is not your congregation. It is not your church. It is not your building. It is the Lord Jesus Christ's church. He is the one that died upon the cross. He is the one that raised himself on the third day. He is the one that shed his blood for this church. And until you have done it, it is not your church. My friend, I want somebody to hear me tonight. This is his church. We better recognize that and we better recognize it very quickly. Preachers, you do not have a kingdom. You do not have a church that is your own. God has allowed you to participate in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his ministry. It is his pulpit. It is his stage. It is his church that you're preaching in. Remember, it is not your church. So that means children's church director and youth director and music director and board member and treasurer. It is not your church. You do not own it. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said it is my church. It has been, it is, and it will always be the church of my God. I'm telling you tonight, I just felt the Holy Ghost tell me I'm on the right track. You need to realize this is his church. You cannot, you cannot claim something that is not yours. If you do, you are a thief. Hello? If I go down and take your pastor's Bible, no matter how long I hold it, it's his Bible. And you might think you're holding his church. <laughs> but it's his church. And guess what? He didn't need you to get it started. He doesn't need you to keep it going. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, Sapphira and Ananias thought that they were doing the church a favor. Oh, God have mercy. I'm feeling better than I did when I got here tonight. <coughs> they thought they were helping God's church out. And in so doing, they were lying and they were causing confusion in the church. And you know what happened? The Holy Ghost saw right through it. <laughs> and Brother Peter looked at them and said, why do you lie to the Holy Ghost? Now, I think we could also add to that without doing the scripture any harm. Why are you trying to stir up mess in the house of God? It's not your church. And the Bible said that at the sound of those words, the breath of life exited. Sapphira and Ananias. And they had to drag them out of the city and place them in a tomb. Now, I'm not meaning to be harsh here. But don't ever try to get in the way of God's church being built. 
Did you hear what I said? Don't ever get in the way of God's church being built. He has ways of removing hindrances. He has ways of removing those stumbling blocks. And he has ways of removing those things and those people that try to stop his work from being performed. Neighbor, I've come by here to tell somebody tonight, his work will be performed. He'll ensure that the Great Commission is done. He will ensure that the church will grow. He will do whatever it takes to make sure that that's going to happen. And so don't ever get in the way. It just might be where he has to remove you out of the way in order for the work to get done. He said, it's my church. This is overdone. I don't normally do this, but would you look at your neighbor and say, this is his church. This is his church. It's his church. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I've asked him to put a picture on the screens here. You see, this place is the Temple of Pan. To my right on that picture, to the far right, you can see a gaping hole all the way to the end. I've stood there. It is a cave that is so enormous you could easily fit this sanctuary inside of it. And what would happen is these pagan worshipers would take virgins and small children and they would toss them over into the depths of this cave where a water stream was flowing. And should they see blood, they would say, well, Pan did not receive our worship. You see, Pan was a god that they had made up that had the body of a goat, the torso of a human, and the head mixed of a goat and human. And for some reason, they thought that his deity needed to be revealed through their pagan sacrifices. And they would continually throw bodies in there until they no longer saw blood. Huh. Aren't you thankful that our Messiah didn't need us to shed blood for him, but that he shed blood for us? And once they saw no blood, then they would stop and say, well, he accepted our worship. We can go back to our normal routine. Now, you've got to understand something very important to understand the rest of this sermon tonight. I've always thought when Jesus said the gate of hell shall not prevail against it, he was talking about some big dark door down in the pit of hell. Now, metaphorically, he was. But physically, that gaping hole then as well as today was known as the gate of hell because everything that emanated from that gaping hole, everything that was produced in that temple was of such demonic influence, was such a power of unrighteousness 
that it exuded throughout the entire land. It was called the gate of hell because all the negativity, all the unholiness, all the sinful acts that man could conjure up, it came, they said, out of the acts that were performed in that pit. Jesus said, if you will build your foundation upon the fact, that I am the Lord, the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. If you will allow me to build my church, everything that exudes from that temple and from that cave, all that hell has to offer, it will not prevail against you. Oh, God have now I'm getting into my message. You see, here's what we must understand. Everything that we go through as a body of believers, it is spiritual warfare. Now some of you may not understand what I'm saying when I say spiritual warfare. And so many times we look at issues and difficulties and things that we face in the church. And we'll say, well, that must have been the act of a clique or the act of a preacher or the act of some unruly member. And we'll say, well, that must have been what the fight was all about. By the way, churches do have fights. And here's the reason why. It's not because brother or sister so-and-so is doing anything. It's because the devil, through brother or sister so-and-so, is doing something. Oh, I'm preaching better than you shouting tonight. You see, we think that we're fighting against each other. And we think that we're wrestling against man and against flesh and blood. But my Bible tells me that as a believer, as a child of God, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice he gives four different levels of spiritual attacks. He said we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities. Those are the ones that, that rule over a territory, that rule over an area. Principalities and, and powers. Those are demonic forces that come against humanity and, and those spiritual things and those elements even above the heavens where they are in a war even with Michael and the high archangels of glory. And there's a constant battle that's going on. I want to tell you church of God, if you'd open up your spiritual eyes, you would recognize that the demonic influences are all around us. The reason we have the issue with the LGBTQ movement, it's simply because the devil is trying to attack the perverted minds of humanity and trying to tear them apart and try to damn their souls to hell. The reason we're dealing with adultery and fornication, it's because there is an attack by the eels of hell that are coming against them and the 
reason our children are addicted to crack cocaine and to alcohol and every other kind of drug it's not just because they're wanting to have a good time it's a spiritual influence that is coming against them it is a demonic spirit that is fighting against our children and against the people of this land but hear me today my friend though we wrestle not against flesh and blood you need to realize this very thing greater is he that is in me than a he that is in the world it's time the church recognize we have been made more than conquerors through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ you see we've got to recognize something the gate of hell everything that's coming from it it will not prevail against us I want you to listen to me tonight you think that what you're going through is a health problem I'm not saying that because you're sick, the devil's trying to kill you. But when you go and look at Scripture, the reason there is sickness in this world is because of the devil. Oh, yeah. Were it not for his influence over Eve and her influence over Adam and his fall, there would be no sickness in this world. So every time we get a cold, every time somebody has cancer, every time somebody deals with any physical issue, it is because of the results of the enemy of our soul. And every time, every time that we face financial difficulty, you've got to understand, and I'm not one of these TBN preachers that's trying to get money from everybody. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. You sow your seed in the church that you're being fed in, not the TV preacher that you watch every Sunday afternoon. You see, we've got to understand that the enemy will fight even against the financial people and the financial state of the church. Oh, yeah. What do you think was happening when the Pharisees came to Jesus? And they said, look on this coin. Whose is it? What he was saying is, is it yours or is it Caesar's? And Jesus said, well, why don't you just rent under Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's? Oh, that's a good answer, Brother Ball. That means pay your taxes. Yeah, it means pay your taxes. But guess what happened when God's people needed money? Jesus said, it might be Caesar's, but if you'll go down to the river and drop a hook and pick up a fish, I've already got a coin in his mouth. It's going to be enough. It's going to pay my taxes and yours. My God, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost from my head to my heel right now. I'm telling somebody in this house, we are wrestling a battle. We are fighting a war. We are against something tonight that we don't even understand. But you must know this very thing. Those of you who are even battling in your mind, you are suffering from depression. You are facing discouragement. You are going through pain and anxiety attack that is not God's will for your life that is an attack by the devil himself the mind is the playground of the devil oh but hear me tonight the Lord hath not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound my neighbor I've come by Sapona Road Church of God in Fayetteville North Carolina to let somebody know the weapons of our warfare they are not carnal but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds it is time the church of God rise up and let the devil know wait just a minute you stop in your tracks I am the church of the living God you will not prevail against me you see we have forgotten the words of Jesus Christ do you know what's ha <coughs> happening to the church 
we have become fearful of the attack of the enemy. Hello? Oh, yeah, we, we become fearful of the attack of the enemy. We have people that go around, and I've heard them say it. You better not mess around that kind of stuff. Just leave it alone. Why? You know what the Bible says? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. <coughs> and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That means if the earth is the Lord's and all things were made by him, and if I am his child, then everything that is his, he's passed it over to me. And I know that it is an Old Testament scripture. And so many people will say, well, this is a word that was used for the Jewish people. But he instructed his children. He said, every place you put the sole of your feet, I'm giving it to you. Neighbor, I want to tell you, we are not the squatters on this earth. It is the world that is the squatters. This is our territory. This is our kingdom. This is our place that God has given to his children. But what do we do? We run back. And as soon as that fight starts getting bad, and I think I mentioned it last night when your children are acting crazy, and your spouse is acting nuts. And when things aren't going well in the church, let's just back up. But my Bible said that we are to put on the whole armor of God. Mm. We are not to back down from a fight, but we are to gird ourselves with the armor of God. And we are supposed to take up our weapons. And we are not supposed to take a back seat to the devil, but we are supposed to go after him with everything we've got, letting him know, wait just a minute, you cannot come against my family any longer. You cannot come against my health any longer. You cannot come against my finances any longer. You will not fight against my church any longer because God has given me the authority. He has placed his power inside of me. And the Bible said that these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. I want to tell somebody here tonight, it's time you tell the devil, you better tuck tail and run because I'm coming after you. You've been running after me hard for too long. It's time for us to take up the sword of the spirit and put on the armor of God and let him know we mean business tonight. Oh yes. You see kings kings have looked over the church and they have tried to martyr us. Do you hear me? You know why kings have tried to martyr the church? Because they're afraid of the church. Let's go back to the Old Testament again. When you look at Moses and the story of the Israelite children, you know why they were enslaved in the first place? It's because God was prospering those Israelite people. And the Pharaoh said, you know what? If we were to get in a battle, they are so large, they are so strong, they are so big, 
they just might turn against us. So if we will go ahead and enslave them now, oh, I'm telling you, if we'll go on and enslave them right now, when it's time to fight, we'll be over them. Oh, I want to tell somebody the devil's been trying to enslave you for too long. He's been trying to keep you back, not because you were some weakling, not just because you were a nobody, but the devil saw what you could be. The devil saw how strong and how mighty you were. The devil realized that his days were numbered with the power of God inside of you. He knew he could not win this fight with the Lord on your side, neighbor. I want to tell you it's time that we realize just as God sent Moses to bring them out, God has sent the Messiah, the Christ, Christ, the son of the living God to bring us out of bondage and he's put us back on the battlefield and when the enemy comes in like a flood the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him oh, somebody lift up your hand tonight you see they were enslaved because of the power that they possessed that's what's happening to some of you. The enemy is enslaving you because of the power you possess of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did I tell you Sunday evening? That you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. There is a power inside of you. There is a power that is greater than anything the enemy can produce. Now, I don't want anybody thinking that I'm talking lightly of the devil. <coughs> because I'm not. I know that he has power. <clears throat> the Bible said that he is the prince of the power of the air. And God has given him the rule over this earth for a time. But, <clears throat> anybody have a dog in here? I've got a hundred pound dog at my house. He ate my wooden swing I had built. Uh, I was about to call you by your first name. Pardon me. Sister McLam, I, I had a beautiful swing built. My wife wanted one for the backyard, and man, I had hearts built into it. Cup holders in the side. It was, it was nice. I mean, you could lay across it. It was nice. And my daughter wanted a dog, so I got one, not knowing how big it would get. So she named him Buddy. You know, that's a gentle name for a dog. He ate my swing. I mean, he ate it. Not chewed it up, he ate it. He ate my pressure washer. He ate half of my daughter's uh, tent that was around her trampoline he ate the pedals off of their bicycle and, and buddy is a big dog he messes up a lot of stuff and as bad as he is I cannot lock him up because you know he's family and it, it, I don't want anyone getting mad because I'm, I'm not part of PETA or anything, but I've never believed in chaining up a dog. To me, it's just inhumane. 
It only gives them so far that they can walk or so far that they can move, and they have to just sit right there. We have a big privacy fence around our backyard, and he just has free roam. That's, that's Buddy's yard. But still, Buddy has boundaries. Buddy cannot get out of that yard unless I open up the door of the gate and let him out. Oh, God, have mercy. He might be the prince of the power of the air. But God said, this is where you can go. This is what you can do. And you can do nothing without my permission to do it. You just missed a good place to hit the aisle and take off running. And guess what? There are times when the Lord looks at him and says, I'm not even going to give you this backyard. That's my child. I'm going to put you on a chain. You might run after him. But just about the time you think you're going to sink your teeth in, I'm going to snatch that leech back and pull you to the side. You might think you're going to knock them over. You may think you might mess them up. But just about the time you get to them, devil, I'm going to snatch that leech back and let you know that all power belongeth unto God. I'm going to let you know you have no rule over my children. I'm going to let you know you have no authority. You have no power. You have no weapon against them unless I give it to you my God I want to tell somebody tonight God has given you the authority he has given you the power though he may sail against you and though he may try to fight he comes in like a roaring lion but the Savior I serve he is the lion of the tribe of Judah don't worry he'll stand up for you he'll stand up for you oh somebody my God have mercy I feel him The authority is yours. You know what that lets me know? That you might be in a battle tonight. <clears throat> and when that gate opens up, and when all hell assails, and when the winds of the pit of Hades are burning against you, Jesus said, don't worry. I think I'm preaching to myself a little bit. There's no need to worry about this battle. You know what the scripture said? The battle is the Lord's. In fact, let me just put it to you this way. <clears throat> We are in a spiritual battle, but we're fighting a fight that unlike World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq, nobody knew the outcomes until it was over. But I already know. <coughs> I already know. Because I am more. I'm not just a conqueror. 
I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Why? Because on Calvary, the same Savior that stood at the brook and looked at that temple and told his disciples what comes out of the pit of hell, it will not defeat you. It will not destroy you. When Jesus, on Mount Calvary, hung between two thieves, he cried out, it is finished. What was finished? Everything. That means on that cross, that physical fight you're in, it's finished. It's won. That financial battle you're in, it's finished. It's won. That emotional struggle you're facing, it is finished. You're a conqueror. The battle that we face in the church, in the congregation of the saints, amongst the body of believers, It I'm feeling a prophetic voice right now. It is finished. Because he may come to me with a spear and a sword. But I come to him. In the name of the Lord. Mm. Oh, I'm feeling victory right now. I said I'm feeling victory right now. Lift up your hands and begin to worship him for just a moment. Everybody stand with me. Pastor, I want to tell you a true story. One of our missionaries in our denomination was overseas and he was facing a difficult time. They were in an area that was inundated with demonic influence. Now, I hope you understand what I'm getting ready to say because it, it could be misconstrued. But over here, the devil hides himself a lot. What I mean by that is he, he puts on the facade of not being the one that's doing it. And sometimes it's difficult for us to understand, as I mentioned earlier, that whatever we're going through, it's actually him that's doing it to the child of God. Now, in other countries, for some reason, he openly manifests himself. It's nothing to go to Haiti or to parts of Africa or even certain parts of Latin and Central America where for some reason there is such a demonic influence in these areas that it's nothing to ride down the road and see people who are possessed and you know it. You see the demonic influence on them. 
And so he was battling this all over the place. And one evening they were having a church service. He had been there for a while and only had 15, 20 people that he had won to Christ by this point. And this person comes in full of a devil. Now, by his authority that's been given to us through Christ Jesus. And by the way, your authority is not in who you are. It's only in him. Ask the seven sons of Sceva. And they tried to cast out a devil. They did the right thing. The Bible said they laid their hands on him. They said the right thing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Come out. But there was one little issue. You can do the right thing, you can say the right thing, but when there's no authority behind it, the demon inside of that man said, wait a minute, um, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? The Bible said that the demon inside of that man gave him such strength that he literally beat all seven brothers naked and ran them out of town. That's scripture. So my... My advice to some here tonight, don't stir up more devils than you have authority to cast out. But this man had the authority that had been given to him through Christ, full of the Holy Ghost. And he stood amongst those 15 and 20 people and knowing because the Bible said that once one is filled with the Spirit of God, there are nine gifts that are manifested in the life of a believer. And one of those gifts is the gift of the discerning of spirits. Now, you must understand there are three spirits. Spirit of God, spirit of the devil, and the spirit of man. And that discerning of spirits will help you to bear witness whether or not it is of God. Or it it'll not bear witness and show you that it is a demonic influence or it'll not bear witness and show you that it's man. Can I give you an example? I'll not name the church, but I was preaching a couple of years ago. Power of God was moving. People were shouting and the glory of the Lord was there. The altar, I mean, people were being saved. I looked over to the far back and there was about four or five sections in the church. And way back in the back, there was a group of people who were just, oh, they were just having an emotional time and something just didn't settle right with them. And, and so I walked back there and I, I see people beating this guy on the chest with a Bible, in the name of Jesus, come out, in the name of Jesus, come out. I said, sir, what, what's going on? Oh, we're casting a devil out. He's manifested. I said, okay, I said, can I just step right through here? I looked down at him, and I said, does he have any relatives here? Yes, his mother's in the nursery. I said, go get her quickly. She's only about 18, 20 years old. I said, and while you go get his mother, call an ambulance. Why? I said, because she's having a seizure. She's not possessed of a devil. Because God, through his spirit, gave me enough discernment to understand this was not a spiritual, demonic influence, but his human body was having an issue. 
his life was saved that night because in their mind they're trying to cast out a demon that wasn't even there. So through that anointing, God showed this preacher, this missionary, that this spirit inside of this individual was not of God. And it was not just some human activity, but indeed it was a demonic influence. And so he steps out to lay his hand upon her and say the right thing and do the right thing, but God stopped him in his tracks and said, don't lay hands on her. Instead, I want you to clap. Now, in his mind, he said, I, I, I just said, God, that's not how you cast out devils. I'm glad that God has a sense of humor. Because when we say stupid things or try to tell him how his work is supposed to be done, he's just very merciful. God, that's not how you cast out devils. God told him again, clap your hands. And he said, I didn't know what to do, so I just stood there quietly and And as I was clapping, I just began to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Praise the name of Jesus. He said, before I realized it, my clapping got a little bit harder and a little bit louder. And my worship got a little bit more intense. He said, and the next thing I know, the individual beside me began to clap their hands. And the person beside them began to clap their hands. Before it was over with, all 15 or 20 people were just clapping their hands and lifting up their voices with a shout of praise. And he said it was just like they just broke out in this worship. And all of them just clapping their hands. And he said he looked at this woman possessed of a devil and immediately she began to convulse. Nobody praying for her. He said that all of a sudden their praise got to a peak. And when it did, the demonic spirit inside of that lady exited her. Under the power of God, she was laid under the presence of God. And immediately, God saved her, sanctified her, and filled her with the Holy Ghost. He said a revival spirit broke out, and he said a few moments had gone by, and they had kind of gotten themselves together. And he said he stopped and he wept and he prayed and he, he said, God, show me what just happened. And he said immediately the Holy Ghost showed him Psalm 47 and 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. And shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You know what that is? Victory. Victory. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, when you go in this battle, because we're getting ready to come down here and fight. When you come to this battle, don't come down here with a whimper. Don't come down here moaning and groaning. Oh, woe is me. When you come down here, I want you to start by clapping. 
And I want you to begin by lifting up your voice, not a voice of God, help me, God, help me, but a victorious voice, a triumphant voice. Praise the name of the Lord for victory. Praise God Almighty for victory. Praise your holy name for the victory. Because when that happens, the Bible said that God will inhabit the praises of his people. And light in darkness cannot dwell in the same place. If you want victory over the enemy's attack against you, against your family, against your health, against your finances, against your mind, against your church, in the name of Jesus, I want somebody ready for victory. Put your hands together. Shout with a voice of triumph. Make your way down to this altar. This is how we're going to fight our battles tonight.